David, uh, David was telling me about this uh, guy that took his dog into a bar. And uh, this, this guy was a big-time cowboy fan, and so was the dog. And they both got their cowboy jackets on and T-shirts and hats and the whole thing, and they walk into the bar with this, he walks into the bar with his dog, and the dog, you know, is all excited. And the bartender says, hey, you can't bring that dog in here. And the guy says, well, wait. He says, wait a minute. He said, we're, we're, we're pals. He said, he's excited about the game as I am. He'll behave. He'll take, believe me, he won't be a problem. The guy says, well, all right. The game comes on, and, uh, you know, the dog's handling himself well. He's real, he's not moving around. He's not causing a problem. They're watching the game. Cowboys, first drive, they go down. Uh, actually, they get a field goal. And they <laughs> kick that field goal, <clears throat> and that dog goes crazy. That dog is running all over that bar. He's high-fiving guys. I mean, he's going berserk. <laughs> and the bartender says to his owner, he says, that's, that's unbelievable. I've never, seen, I, I, I've never seen such a thing. That dog is a fan. I mean, I can't believe how excited he got. He goes, yeah. He said, and the bartender says, what does he do when they score a touchdown? And the guy says, I don't know. I've only owned him three years. Yeah, we, we deal in truth here. <laughs> well, let's pray as we get started tonight. Father, thank you that you invented humor and laughter. Thank you that that's something of your design. That's a, that's a good gift from you. Uh, Philippians is a book that actually is about joy. It's about rejoicing. And sometimes we find ourselves uh, short on that commodity in our lives because of the pressure of life and because of the difficulties of life, uh, because of the disappointments we encounter and because of the fact that so often we tend to be uh, just swimming upstream and there's no break, there's, there's, there's no rest, there's no way to get out of the water. But Lord, we thank you that uh, over all of those things in our lives that you are sovereign and that you are in charge and that you are in control and that there's a reason that we're swimming upstream. There's a reason that we're headed against the current. That's how we build muscle. That's how we get toned. That's how we get in shape. And a lot of times, Lord, there is something down the road that you have for us to do, and we're not quite in shape yet to do it. So you have got to enable us to struggle for a while. In the midst of that, though, Lord, let us not be robbed of joy. So I ask that you'd encourage us tonight. I'd ask that you'd give us what we need. Each guy needs something different here tonight. We're coming out of different circumstances, out of different situations. For some of us, this has been a really good day. Others of us, uh, not so. So we submit ourselves to you. We trust you. We ask you to work in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. <clears throat> now, that's a joke that I heard just five minutes ago. But there's one I read a couple of days ago, and I want to give you this one. <clears throat> I don't know it well enough to, uh, I've got to read it to you. It seems that Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were going on a camping trip. They pitched their tent under the stars, and then they went right to sleep. In the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes awakened and exclaimed, Watson, look up and tell me what you deduce. Watson opened his eyes and said, well, I see billions and billions of stars. 
it's likely that some of those stars have planetary systems. Furthermore, I deduce that there is a, a probably oxygen on some of those planets, and it's possible that life has developed on a few of them. Is that what you see? Holmes replied, no, you idiot. Somebody stole our tent. <laughs> some things are obvious. Some things are not so obvious. Uh, what was obvious about Paul and about where he was is that he was in jail. Uh, Philippians 1, and before I forget, I, I'm going to, uh, tonight, I'm going to end things a little earlier and open it up so that we can do some questions. Because uh, I, I, I had some questions from last week uh, on rewards, and, uh, and I'm going to deal with that again tonight because it's in the text. Uh, and that, that usually uh, gets, some, uh, get, it gets us thinking. So I, I thought we'd open it up here a little bit at the end, and we could have some feedback and maybe clarify some things. Uh, so just be aware of that and be prepared for it. Those question-answer deals tend to go real well when people ask questions. When they don't, uh, yeah, they don't go real well. So just, just kick that around. Uh, the situation in Philippians, in the letter of Paul to the Philippians, is that Paul is in jail. Um, now, that's what is obvious. It's easy to deduce that. Um, but, but you see, the reason Paul is writing to these people at Philippi is that he's responding to, uh, to their gift that they sent him. They sent him a financial gift, apparently, and they sent him Epaphroditus, one of their key men, to encourage Paul and to help Paul. Paul was in Rome. He was in uh, house arrest. Uh, uh, he, he wasn't in a dungeon. Uh, it could have been a lot worse. He could have visitors. People could come and go. But nevertheless, he was chained uh, to a Roman uh, soldier, to a Praetorian soldier, uh, uh, for every waking hour. So it was not the best of circumstances. They were concerned about Paul, the church at Philippi. Uh, they, they wanted to encourage Paul. When someone's in prison, you want to encourage them. Um, and they were especially concerned uh, for another reason, because it was just not any guy who was in prison. It was the Apostle Paul who was in prison. Now, you don't want the Apostle Paul in prison. You, you don't want a guy like Paul, because the church is, uh, the, the church is young. The, the, church is, uh, the, the church is growing. Uh, the church needs to make an impact on society and on the culture. And you don't take the greatest mind of the church, and you don't take the greatest preacher of the church, and you don't put him in jail. But that's precisely what happened, and they were concerned about that. Uh, it's not a good idea uh, to have Billy Graham in jail. It's not a good uh, idea to have uh, John Calvin in jail. It's not a good idea to have C.H. Spurgeon in jail. You want your leaders, you want your gifted men out ministering. But uh, Paul was in jail. And Paul had been held now for quite a while. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the sequence of events. Uh, Paul had been uh, arrested on some trumped up charges. He actually wound up appealing to Caesar, probably would have been released. But he's, uh, he's in the midst of a four-year imprisonment. He was, at, uh, he was at Caesarea for a while. Now he's in Rome, and this is not a good thing. 
Would you not agree? You don't want your leaders in jail. So they send Epaphroditus, they send a letter to, the, to Paul trying to encourage him because looking at the situation, you would deduce that this is the worst possible thing that could happen would be for your key man to be in prison. Interestingly enough, in Philippians 1, in writing back to them in verse 12, here's what Paul has to say to them. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, namely being in prison, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. See, that's what they didn't deduce. That's what they didn't figure out. They knew he was in jail. This had to come as a shock to them. What do you mean, my imprisonment, my, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel? Well, he goes on, he says, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. In, in verses 12, 13, and 14, uh, for you guys that like outlines, what you have is Paul's confinement. Then the next section that we'll get to in a minute, verses 15 through 19, you have Paul's competitors. Then in verses 20 to 26, you have Paul's crisis. Now, they're concerned because Paul is confined. That, that had to stun them when they got this letter. Because it makes no sense that, that here's Paul in jail writing to them and saying, you need to understand something. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. The, the, the sense of that is, greater than if I had been out of jail. Right out of the blocks here is a principle that we've talked about a hundred times before, and it's simply the principle that God's ways are not our ways. And we keep going back to this. God does not work off the same page that we work on. God does not work off the same strategies. Um, you know, so often we... Uh, we, we, we have our approaches, and we have our plans, and we have, you know, this is how it ought to be done. And if you're, uh, if you're a good thinker, and if you're a planner, uh, that's a good thing. So you put a plan into place. Oftentimes, it doesn't turn out that way. Because you see, God works in mysterious ways. God works in ways that we could never fathom. And, and, and that's why James said, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Something I'm working on. I, I decided this year that I really haven't, um, that I really haven't applied uh, to my heart what I know in my head. And, and here's what I mean by that. I have never been one, when I hit difficult circumstances, to count it as joy. Now, I have taught that, and I've taught it many times. I don't have any difficulty teaching that verse. But I have had tremendous difficulty implementing that verse. So this week, 
as I was dealing with some circumstances that were not good and that were not pleasant and that I would really like. Uh, and I was praying and asking God to change my circumstances because I don't like these circumstances. I don't appreciate the circumstances. Uh, these are not Jabez circumstances. This, this is not what I'm looking for, but it's where I am. And, and I, I, was, I was pondering this that morning, and I was actually, um, was actually in my car, and about five or six, seven, eight minutes into this thought process, you know what I did? I caught myself. And I, and I said, you know, Lord, I don't really know how to do this, but I want to try and count this as joy today. Because there's something, there's a reason you've allowed this to come into my life. I, I don't like it. I don't understand it. I want out of it. But in your sovereignty, you have chosen to allow me to deal with this. This has come through your hand. This has come through your office. You've signed off on this. Otherwise, it couldn't have gotten to me. So I don't see any good thing here, but I want to go ahead and thank you. And I'm not even sure why I'm thanking you, because I, um, I don't see any good coming out of it yet. But in the past, I've seen you take situations like this and bring good. I want to go ahead and thank you before I see the good. So help me today. Uh, help, me, help me to be joyful. Help me not to let this get me down all day. Help me to be able to compartmentalize this and submit this to you and, and not just ruin everything. And, uh, and, I was, and by now, the light had turned green and it had been green for four minutes and people were mad because I'm, no, I'm just kidding you. But I tried to catch myself because, you see, I had been thinking about this passage, knew this is what we were coming to. I've been thinking about this for the last week. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Uh, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Well, what about my circumstances? What about your circumstances? Do you think Paul particularly liked his circumstances? I don't think so. Do you particularly like your circumstances? Some of you may. Most of us have probably some things in our lives we'd like to have changed. But you see, the fact of the matter is, is that we all have the, so the same sovereign God who is at work in our lives, and none of these things come into our lives by accident. They come in for a reason. And, and as we have seen many times before, God loves to bring good out of things that are not good. That's what he does. That's what he uh, is known for. So if you've experienced that before in your life where God has brought good out of what isn't good, and now you're in not good, why not go ahead and be grateful that he's going to do something good before you see the good? Paul's in prison. But good is happening. Greater good than if Paul was out doing what he would normally be doing. In your car, you've got an accelerator and you've got a brake. Uh, I heard Dobson uh, when I was driving over here, and he was, uh, I, I just stole this from him. He was using that illustration. 
And he was talking about husbands and wives, how different we are. Uh, he says, we're like, uh, husbands are like accelerators, wives are like brakes. We need each other. <laughs> right? So, I mean, if it's up to us, it's all accelerated. We're just going. Uh, that's our favorite pedal. But how many times, you ever, you ever behind somebody on, on the freeway and they're riding the brakes? They're just riding them. Now you pull up next to them. You tell me what they are. <laughs> they're either real old or they're a woman. Now how's that for uh, being sensitive? <laughs> Women love their, not all of them, but you know, uh, th that's a generalization. But you know what? You got a brake and you got an accelerator. When it comes to our lives and our plans, our plan is that the accelerator is always to the floor. As men, we always want to be moving. We always want to be progressing. We always want to be advancing. We always want to be achieving. We always want to be taking the next hill. Interesting, isn't it, how oftentimes God will just put the brakes on. When you're in prison, the brakes are on. When, uh, when you're in chemo, the brakes on. When uh, you're in particular situations, the brakes on. And we get frustrated because we think progress is not taking place. The brakes were on in Paul's life, he was in jail. But Paul says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress. This, 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 uh, this word here that is translated greater progress or furtherance, some of your translations say that. It, it literally means pioneer advance. It is, a, it is a Greek military term that refers to the army engineers who go before the troops to open the way into new territory. Uh, it's a referral to the Seabees, if you will, in World War II. Did you ever see that movie with John Wayne about the Seabees? They're going in, they got their bulldozers, you know, they got Japanese guys everywhere, and they got machine guns and their John Deere bulldozers, and it's great because they got to build a bridge or something, you know, before the guys can come in. That's what that means. It, it's, it's a, it's a, someone, someone's got to clear the land. Someone's got to cut the tree. Somebody's got to pull the stumps before you can grow anything. Uh, that's, that's progress. That's advancement. Uh, that's the idea that's here. Paul has been able to go into turf. Because of his imprisonment, he's been able to go, and the gospel's been able to go into territory it would have never have gone before. It couldn't have gone. There are two reasons that he gives that his circumstances uh, have turned out to be extremely positive. Number one, he says, because my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Um, William Barclay does a good job, job on background. Sometimes he's not so good on doctrine. But uh, he knows his history. Listen to what Barclay uh, says about the Praetorian Guard. And you can need to understand something. Because Paul had appealed to Caesar. Paul, uh, uh, Paul was in, uh, under house arrest. Now apparently, if you look at Acts 28.20, 20, uh, we looked at, uh, flip over there just real quickly. Because I want you to see something. 
And we looked at this a while back because it gives us the, uh, gives us the context of his uh, first Roman imprisonment, where he wrote Philippians and Ephesians. Uh, in 28.20, Paul describes the situation, and he says, um, let's see if we can find this here. Uh, he says, for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain, it's a literal chain, for the sake of the hope of Israel. Um, well, what's happening here is that Paul is chained. Now look at verse 16, just above it. He says, and when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stand by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So somehow it appears that he's got an apartment or some kind of, of room that's in the Praetorian barracks, the living quarter. Praetorian means palace. These guys were the elite cream of the cream. These, these guys are the rangers. These guys are the, are the seals. These guys, um, they're, 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 they're Delta Force. And you know Delta Force, the government never, they don't even, they don't even confirm that those guys exist. But we all know they exist. It's, it's the top of the top. It's the best there are. Uh, listen to this about the Brit. One of these guys is chained to Paul every waking hour. Uh, Barclay says the Praetorian Guard were the Imperial Guard of Rome. They had been instituted by Augustus, and they were a body of 10,000 hand-chosen troops. Augustus had kept them dispersed throughout Rome and the neighboring towns. Tiberius had concentrated them in Rome in a specially built and fortified camp. Vitellius had increased their number to 16,000. They served for 12 and later 16 years. At the end of their term, they received the citizenship of Rome and a grant that was substantial. In the end, they became very nearly the emperor's private bodyguard. And in the end, they became very much a problem. This gets interesting. They were concentrated in Rome, and there came a time when the Praetorian Guard became nothing less than the kingmakers. For inevitably, it was their nominee who made emperor every time, since they could impose their will by force, if need be, upon the whole population. It was to the prefect of the Praetorian Guard to their commanding officer that Paul was handed over when he arrived in Rome. Let me ask you something. You know, Paul had always wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Let's say Paul made it. And let's say he walks up to Caesar's uh, uh, federal building, to the, uh, to the palace, and he says, hey, I'm wondering if there's any way I can get a chapel service with you guys. I'm wondering if there's any way we could have a prayer breakfast. I'm wondering if there, there's no way in the world he would have gotten, he, he never would have gotten up the first step. There's no way he could have talked to those guys who were the cream of the crop. So what did God do? God allowed him to go in the back door. He goes on and he says, Paul had been delivered to the captain of the Praetorian Guard to await trial before the emperor. He had been allowed to arrange a private lodging for himself, but night and day in that private lodging there was a, a soldier to guard him, a soldier to whom he was chained by the hallucis, the chain, uh, uh, all the time. There would, of course, be a, a rotation of guardsmen assigned to this duty, and in the long two years, one by one, the guardsmen of the interior guard would be on duty with Paul. Now, see, we look at this, and we say Paul was chained. These guys were young studs. These guys were young bucks. They were future leaders of Rome. They were strategic men. 
And see, we look at Paul's imprisonment and the fact that probably in four-hour shifts, Paul was chained to one of those young soldiers. See, the fact of the matter is, Paul was not chained to the soldier. The soldier was chained to Paul. What, a, uh, what an unfortunate assignment for a young Roman pagan who had his life mapped out, who had his plan, who had worked very, very hard to get where he was. Undoubtedly a very disciplined individual. Undoubtedly a very smart individual. Undoubtedly an individual with a plan uh, to do better than his family, to do better than his father had done. Uh, aggressive, ambitious. And uh, they draw this uh, duty where they are, they, they are chained to this disturbing man who keeps talking about this Jesus who rose from the dead and who went to the cross as a sacrifice for sin. And you know what happens? One by one by one by one, these guys start coming to Christ. That's amazing. You wouldn't have thought of that if you had a million years. But see, his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. If you have any doubt about the effectiveness of Paul's ministry while he was in prison, flip to the end of Philippians. Look at chapter 4. As he's closing things down, look at verse 22. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. How in the world did that happen? It happened because God was sovereign over his circumstances. Uh, you would deduce on the surface that the circumstances were not favorable. Yet you see, they were favorable indeed. That's how God works. God has always worked like that. God has worked like that throughout history. God worked like that in Moses' life. Uh, Moses had unfavorable circumstances. He, uh, Moses, Moses wasn't in the Praetorian Guard. He ran the Praetorian Guard. He was the son of Pharaoh. He was the guy who was lined up to get the children of Israel. He knew he had been hand chosen by God to get them out of there. But at the age of 40, he tried to pull it off, and it wasn't God's time. And he had to run for his life, and he was banished in the wilderness for 40 years. And we look at those circumstances, and we would think, and I'm sure Moses thought, you know what, I'm finished, I'm done. But see, he wasn't done. God was just getting him ready. God, it wasn't time yet. Um, I mean, we, we could take Joseph. We could take David on the run in the caves, uh, running for his life from Saul. We could take Daniel. Uh, we, we, we could go through the pages of Scripture and see guys in negative circumstances. You see, uh, I, I always thrill to hear stories of missionaries when they return, who, who have been out in, in difficult places and in remote places, and, and the stories they tell about the faithfulness of God, and the stories they tell about the provision of God. But all those stories that thrill us, and they have these wonderful endings. You see, before you get the wonderful ending, you've got to have a horrible situation. You've got to have bad circumstances. But see, God majors in those bad circumstances. So, so, once again, we've got to ask ourselves, what are my circumstances? Is God sovereign in my circumstances? There must be a reason God has allowed me in these circumstances. Because you see, God is doing the same work in my life that he was doing in Paul's life 
We never suffer randomly. As believers, we always suffer with a purpose. God is up to something. Now, there was something else that God was up to in this situation. You guys still with me? There's another thing that God was up to. There was a second reason that Paul's circumstances had, tr had turned out to the greater progress of the gospel. First one is the Praetorian Guard. The second one is this. Uh, verse 14, And most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. What has happened is, Paul has been put in prison. What it has done is emboldened the rest of the guys. It's emboldened the guys that are, uh, that are wheel makers. It's emboldened the guys that are silversmiths. It's em emboldened the guys that are merchants to preach the gospel and to share the gospel. It's given them courage. Ray Steadman deduced the principle out of this, and his principle was, if you want to further the gospel, lock up all the preachers. <laughs> that was his principle. Because you see, it's not just the preachers. See, the preachers aren't supposed to do the work of ministry. The preachers are to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that they do the work of ministry. So there were two positives that came out of a negative. God always brings positives out of negatives. Somehow, some way, maybe you haven't seen it yet, but that's what he does. See, th this, was, this was what God was doing when Paul was confined. When the brakes were on, God was still moving and working. All right, now, let's move to the next one. Let's look at Paul's uh, competitors. And believe it or not, well, we'll have to read it. This, this may surprise you. In verse 15, Paul says this, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there, when I say this, uh, these verses mention Paul's competitors, it's not that Paul was competing with them, it's that they were competing with Paul. Now, there were two kinds of preachers that he mentioned. Now, we should understand this about the two kinds of preachers. Both kinds were preaching the pure gospel. They weren't adding to it. They weren't Judaizers. They weren't legalists. They weren't tainting or polluting the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. But one group was preaching the gospel out of right motives. The other group was preaching the gospel out of wrong motives. He mentions this. Note, if you would, in verse 17. Well, in 15, he describes them, uh, the, the guys that are competing with him, as preaching out of envy and strife. And then he says in verse 17 that they proclaim Christ out of, uh, out of selfish ambition. Uh, th this, this is an interesting term. Uh, selfish ambition. Well, you know what ambition is. But when you tie it to selfish ambition, uh, see, ambition can be a good thing. Uh, ambition can mean that you have initiative. Uh, ambition can mean that you're not passive. Ambition can mean that you're a, a self-starter. That's a good thing. But there's a wrong kind of ambition. 
the wrong kind of ambition is selfish ambition. It is focused on the advancement only of the individual. This, this term in Paul's day actually became a political term uh, that came to mean promise them anything but get their vote. Um, selfish ambition. Now, you got to remember something. He's talking about preachers. He's talking about right about that. So, uh, Mordecai's got a plot to kill all the Jews? Uh, uh, Haman had a plot, I'm sorry. Esther and Mordecai fast, and they get all the Jews to fast. Daniel needs to know the interpretation. They fast. See, see it throughout the scripture. Um, uh, Hezekiah is surrounded by the army he can never defeat. He fasts. So I, I think we fast at times of, of, of crisis. And Jesus talked about fasting, what you do. You don't make a big deal out of it. You don't walk around like you're haggard. You, you don't walk around with, with, you know, you don't come into the church crawling on your hands and knees. You don't do that. So fasting is a spiritual discipline, yeah, that, that from time to time we, we implement. David. Steve, I'd like to answer that question for you because I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'd like to make a comment about the rewards that I think have been helpful to me. Sure. Help everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. How much time do we spend, uh, you know, uh, going to a sporting event or something else in our life? Uh, we're a fast food generation. Mm -hmm. To fast today, I think, and applying it to the culture of that day means more than just giving up food. I think it means giving up time. And that's the discipline of both when it talks about prayer and fasting mm -hmm. that I think we need to do more of today. I would rather see us spending more Yeah. Uh, my yeah, and because fasting, all, all fasting is with the food was the time that you would take to prepare the food and get it all together and all that. Instead of taking that time, you just spend it with the Lord. So I've heard of people that will take a fast from television, or like you say, you know, X amount of sport, because they need to, that's time with the Lord. Yeah. The greatest. Yeah. Uh, books came out. But the question was asked in class one day, uh, what, is, what is it talking about when we receive gold, silver, jewels in the Stephanos, in the crown? What does that mean? And he stopped the class and he said, you know, I want class to end right now. I'm going to answer that question next week. So we came into the class and he started off and he said, uh, I believe that the purpose for us being here is basically found in the Westminster Greater Catechism, which is to glorify God, to reflect His glory. 
said, and then, and then he said, I want to show you some stones. And he took out some, <coughs> I don't know if they were real jewelry or not, but they sure looked like real jewelry. And we all saw them, and he put them into a type of crown. And then he turned out the lights in the room. And we couldn't see the, the stones at all. We couldn't see the, the gold or silver or any of the jewelry that we had. Then he turned the light back on, and obviously we could see the beauty of the stones. What he said was, is that when we get to heaven and you have these gold, you have this gold, silver, and precious stones, the light is Jesus Christ shining on those stones. And we reflect that glory of the person of Jesus. This is what you've been talking about, mm -hmm. Steve, tonight in Philippians. Only I didn't say it this well. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. I, I didn't either. Well, I this is great. Yeah. And he said, in life, we are here to glorify God. Rewards are then transferred to eternity. And some people have the greater ability to reflect the glory of Christ huh. in heaven because they have these stones. But it, without the light, yeah. those stones are not beautiful. They're not attractive. They don't reflect anything. And I think that's what Paul was saying. Yeah. For to live <coughs> is Christ and right. to die is gain. It's right. the same thing. We, it's the same thing you were talking about Brunson's son. Yeah. We, we do it here. It's in eternity. That's we're right. not after yeah. Gold, silver, only to reflect the glory of God. That, that That's good, dude. That's good. Well, Dr. Pentecost will be here the next three Wednesday nights. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, that reminds me, Billy Graham I, at one time was invited, and he was speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast, and whoever the senator was that introduced him went on and on and on with all these accolades. And, and, and it got to the point of just being embarrassing introducing this great, great man. Um, Graham got up <clears throat> and simply said, God will share his glory with no man. And then went on with his remarks. See, that's deflecting the glory to where it belongs. Uh, some of you know of Ed Cole. Ed is a guy that... Uh, ministered in Pentecostal circles for a long, long time uh, to men, and uh, really a fine gentleman. And uh, Ed, uh, his wife passed away a couple, about a year and a half ago, and Ed passed away, oh, about two weeks ago. I was on a plane with Ed right after his wife died. I got on the plane, I saw him, and uh, told him how sorry I was uh, to hear of his wife's passing. and. Uh, and with a twinkle in his eye, he said, well, you know, Steve, she left me for another man. <laughs> he, he, was, he was quite a guy. But he, he had, he, Ed, I, I, I was with him, at, I forget what it was, Promise Keepers, there were thousands of guys. And he got a standing ovation as they introduced him. And, uh, I mean, it was just an incredible ovation they gave him. And he got up and he looked around and he said, you know, when Jesus... When Jesus went into Jerusalem and they were yelling Hosanna and calling out and waving the palm branches, Hosanna, 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 it would have been pretty foolish for that donkey to think that crowd was applauding for him. He said, I appreciate that applause. He said, but I'm just another ass. Now, there's a guy that was deflecting the light 
to the Lord Jesus. One more, and then we'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, crossroads, yeah. Right. Good. Good. Good deal. Thanks, Dave. Well, let's pray, guys, as we finish this off tonight. <clears throat> well, Father, all we know is that we have already been rewarded uh, with, with what we have not deserved in any way, shape, or form. And the fact that somehow you would even give us more is, is just beyond comprehension. But it has been your nature to be gracious and kind to us. Um, your, your loving kindness is never ceasing. We, we, we marvel at what you have done. And Lord, uh, you know, Paul served you from his heart, and that's how we want to serve you. We don't want any hidden agendas in our lives. We, we don't want to be like some politician running around trying to get somebody's vote to their attention. We, we want to give you honor and glory in our lives. Help us, Lord, to reach this, the place in our lives that when others are successful, that we rejoice for them. And we're not resentful, but that we are just thrilled for them. And that we would pray for them, that they would be able to handle that higher position well. Lord, the, the, the small jealousies, the things that embitter us, Lord, surgically remove those from our heart. We ask you to do that. We just simply want to be your men quietly. We want to be your men not just on Sunday mornings or in a deal like this, but we want to be your men when we're in a hotel room a thousand miles from home and nobody's around but just us and you. We want to serve you from our heart. Lord, remind us that the circumstances that we are in that are difficult, that you have a purpose behind. That somehow progress will come. That somehow good will come. Help us to trust you with that truth. Uh, during the week, remind tonight. Encourage us, Lord, uh, to follow you with all our heart and to love you with all, our, with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. That's our desire. We are so grateful to be in your family and to be recipients of your grace. We're so glad we have a ticket into the stadium that will never be taken away. We are thrilled by that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you all.